grace for being here. And I want to start us off with a word of prayer, not only for what's coming in the service, but also to be praying for the Gregories for Bangladesh and just pray that the Lord will use this opportunity to connect with what's going on in the world. Sometimes it's so easy to get so focused on what is the here and now and what's affecting us, but it's great to remember there's a world around us that desperately needs Jesus and that God is working all around the world. So let's pray to start our time together today. Lord, I want to thank you so much for today, for the opportunity to hear about what's going on with our brothers and sisters around the world, specifically in Bangladesh and in that surrounding area. God, we thank you that you are at work, and and we know that there are such good things happening, and yet at the same time, we know that there is much prayer that is needed. We pray that you would continue to work, that you would continue to bring people to know you, that you would continue to build up others to serve alongside the Gregory's as you already have. And we praise you for what you're doing. We pray that you will continue to work a mighty work there. God, today as we go into your word, as we continue to talk about uh, issues surrounding marriage and sexuality, Lord, I pray you'd open our ears or help us to see what you would want us to see and hear what we should hear. And God, it would change the way we view uh, the world that we live in. God, help us to keep our perspective, whether it's perspective of what's going on in the world or perspective on what is coming in the future, Lord. Help us to look to you and help us to focus and hope in you. So I pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I have no idea if we're up and streaming or not. We are. That's awesome. Great. Praise God. So this morning, uh, you know, it's been one of those mornings. We've had audio issues, visual issues. We have... uh, printing issues, all sorts of stuff, computers are slow, all that good stuff, but yet we're here, and so we are blessed, and uh, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do this morning. All right, so so we're going to continue on in our series, uh, and uh, we've been in marriage and sexuality, has been the name of our series, it's been several weeks now, uh, we've looked at lots of different stuff, we looked at what marriage is, we looked at what the purpose of marriage is, last week we looked at how marriage isn't the ultimate thing that we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on Jesus and the fact that we are betrothed to him. He is the bridegroom that we should follow. And then uh, today we're going to continue on what we talked about last week. So I want to start off by saying that, that if you were not with us last week or you didn't have a chance to stream with us, um, you don't have to do it now, but after this sermon, you're going to want to go back and watch the last one because a lot of the things I'm going to refer to you're going to maybe be a little bit lost. But we are going to talk about something today that I think is vitally important that we talk about in this day of talking about marriage, specifically in our churches, something that I think we've overlooked for far too long. And we're going to talk about the issue, I guess you could call it, of singleness. Now, I know some of you are single. Some of you are young and single. Some of you are old and single because of divorce or because you're a widow or a widower. And, and I know everybody's in a different place. And, and some of you are single. And I believe and I hope that as we go through what we're going to look at God's word today, it's going to encourage you. It's going to spur you on towards serving for the glory of God. I hope that will be true in your life today. But if you're sitting here and you're married uh, and you're not single, don't just shut off, okay? Because... We ask the singles not to shut off when we're talking about marriage. So if you're married, don't shut off just because we're talking about singles. There are a lot of things that we can learn, even as married people, uh, that can reflect in the way not only we view singles, but also how we uh, view marriage itself. And so we're going to go ahead and talk about that. You'll see that the the review is where we're going to start in our introduction, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. If you haven't been with us, 
This is going to be very quick because I've got a lot to get to. Uh, I'm going to try to get on the highway as quick as I can, knowing that I'm going to have to take some exits. But we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, marriage is a God-initiated covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage is a God-initiated covenant between a man and a woman. We talked about that. Pastor Justin preached on that, talked about what marriage is all about. That is a covenant, a binding, relational covenant that God has initiated. And that's we need to view that as super, super important and good. We look then at the fact that the purpose of marriage is to glorify God by pursuing holiness and displaying Jesus' love to the world. The purpose of marriage is not to just be happy and have a good marriage or to feel good or to propagate the world by having children. Those things are important, but all those things filter to glorifying God, making God look as important, good, and wonderful as he is. So marriage is a picture of God's glory to God. And so that led us last week this the main idea. Marriage is important. It is most important. And, and we basically came down to the fact that we make marriage an idol. We make marriage the God that we serve. We need to make marriage is simply a vehicle to bring us to God and to glorify Him. And we need to not be so focused on, on temporary marriage that this world because the eternal, the eternal is so greater than even what we see and what we know. And what we see and what we know is marriage. But the greater marriage that is coming to Jesus is to be really to be focused on. And as we focus on our earthly marriages, will also grow. And that's how we left it last week. Now, so we've been work with what we're going to talk about. But you might see that the title here is The White Elephant in the Room. The reasons why I use this title is I want to talk about the idea of an elephant in a room. Maybe you've heard that before. It's a subject that we've talked about, but nobody's really saying anything. It's kind of awkward. And so elephant in the room is, and we're having a marriage series, the elephant in the room is, well, what about those who aren't married? So if you were to just preach all on marriage, I feel like there's a group of people in our church and maybe watching online that would say, this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, I'm, I'm single. I might be single is all the marriage stuff talking. Now, first of all, I would say it's important for anyone and everyone to understand that God initiated marriage to show his glory. I also want to take the time to address the elephant in the room today of how singles play into the body of Christ, how do singles play into bringing glory to God. Because if marriage is the way to glorify God, we need to make sure that we are clear that it is not the only way to glorify God. It is one of the many. But singles are not married, have as much ability to glorify God, if not maybe even have a even straighter path to it than even us as married people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the main idea we're going to look at then is this. Marriage is a good gift. I don't want to lose that we're going to talk about today. I'll come back to that. But marriage is a very good gift that God has given to those of us who are married and those of us who will be married. Marriage is important. It is a good so is singleness. Marriage is a gift, but so is singleness. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times we feel like people have fulfilled their life, have gotten to where they need to get. Good for them. Congratulations. Oh, if you're single, there's something wrong with you. You're missing out on something. And almost as a curse, as a drudgery, instead of the gift that God intends it to be. And my hope today is if we unpack 
scripture. We want to see that whether you're talking about marriage or singing, it's a gift to be used for God in serving others. And that's what I hope we say as we talk about singleness. We'll say before I jump in here, are married, especially I want to talk to parents. If you're a parent today, you're married, singleness, here's what I want us to think about. Maybe what I'm going to talk about today doesn't you right now. By the way, none of us knows what tomorrow holds. So all of your single today, we don't know. Maybe there will be a day where you will be. So you should live for those reasons. And if not, if you're a parent, use things as you teach your kids what it means to navigate this life, to be looking towards Jesus, to be focused on him, and not to be overly focused on because singleness is a gift. And so no matter where we find ourselves today, I think all of us can apply to what we're going to talk about. I will be talking fast. I already have. I've got a lot to get to today. So buckle up. Getting on the highway. Uh, if you miss some stuff, it's going to be recorded. So just forgive me at a time. I don't know like I did last week, but I can't guarantee anything. Here we go. All right. So we're going to start. at the word as we talk about singleness. Principles that we can understand. And flowing from those principles today, we're going to see practical implications, I believe, can come of it. So, the first thing we're going to look at today. First principle, getting married and having a family is not the ultimate goal of life. Getting married and having a family is not the ultimate goal. And you should know what I'm talking about because this is what week's sermon was all and that's why I see you to go back and watch that or listen to that if you haven't. Because what we looked at last week were three basic elements of marriage, that marriage is not eternal. That we see in the scripture, the way Jesus talks about marriage, is that is not going to be when we're in the state. That we are all going to be married, yes, we're going to be married to Jesus, not to one another. And so the marriage that we know is not eternal in that sense. And so therefore, marriage is secondary to God's mission. God's mission of bringing the gospel to the world and glorifying himself through his people is the ultimate mission. And marriage should not distract us from that mission, but it actually should enhance that mission. And so we see that marriage, even as we know it, is secondary to God's mission. And finally, and this is the thing that we really tried to push, you guys did this through the week, Jesus is better than marriage. How many times have you said to your spouse this week, Jesus is better than you? Maybe you said somebody me last week and said, maybe you say Jesus is better than me. So if you want to not get in a big fight, Jesus is better than me, Jesus is better than you, Jesus is better than all of us. And so remember that Jesus is better than Remember, we don't need a spouse, we need Jesus. We need his salvation, we don't need to be married. Unfortunately, in our society today, and I would say more importantly, today, we've elevated not full or about if you're not married. We almost have need to be married in this world. And the matter is, all we truly need is Jesus and his salvation. That's all we need. And so that's something that we need to keep in mind. Now, I don't think I'm going to have time to get to all these quotes, but I'm just going to show you a few books that I read this week. Uh, Marriage and the Family. And sex and the supremacy of Christ. Tim Keller's mean of marriage. There are some good, good things that you can read. And of the things that come out of the sermon are from some 
books. Uh, I was going to quote some things, but for time's sake, I'm not going to do that. But if you want to talk to me about more quotes or talk to me about these books, I would welcome that anytime. All right, so the next point we see, though, I review. So once again, I, there's a scripture there because all the scripture was last week, right? So go back, watch last week. The, the principle we saw is that marriage is not eternal. Marriage is secondary to God's mission. Jesus is better than marriage. Therefore, getting married and having a family is not the ultimate goal of life. We need to get that to our hearts to understand that's true. Because to understand that then is going to help us understand singleness. All right, so next thing we're going to look at today, the principle that we're going to talk about when we talk about singleness is this. There is a better family than a blood family. There is a better family than a blood family. Luke I believe we read these last week as well, but I want to refresh our memory in Luke chapter 18, verse 29 and 30. 18, 29 and 30, we read what Jesus has to say about this idea that there's a better family. So here we look at this in Luke 18, 29 and 30. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in the time in the age to come eternal life. What is Jesus saying here? He's this right after uh, the rich ruler, the rich young ruler who's not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus and the disciples are wondering what that looks like and, and they say, well, we've left everything. And Jesus says, look, whatever you've left in this world, I'm going to promise you're going to receive so much more than this in life and eternal because if you will give up even your family, you get better. Get better. And the understanding here is the family you will receive is so much greater than the family that you even have. It's a blood family. Our kids, our parents, spouses, our all, all our blood family, those who are bonded with in this world. Even if we have to go away from them to follow Jesus for the kingdom of God, and as we're talking about missions, how many we don't know what this looks like as much as any other around the world do, where they literally have to walk away from their family to follow Jesus. And there may be to come for us as well, and so we need be prepared and say, well, even if we have to walk away from the family that we have to follow Jesus and to live for his kingdom, God can provide even that much more. That is the hope that we have. So there is a better family than blood family. Jesus himself showed us this to be true. He set an example for us. I'm going to go here, but if you're taking notes, Mark verses 34 and 35, that's also Luke 11, 27 through 28. In these verses, Jesus is talking, remember the Mark one, the Mark is really get a lot. His, his mother and his brothers, they come and try to pull him away from teaching. They take a little nuts and pull him away. And he says to the crowd, my family is those who do the will of God. And he makes it very clear that his ultimate is not family, his mother and brothers, but his ultimate family is those who follow God and do his works. Something very similar happened in 11, where Jesus says the same thing, that the people that are really in his family are the ones who follow God's ways. So Jesus is an example, and so he, as a single, set the example of finding family outside of what we would consider blood family, we should be able to do the same. And what is the family that we have? Well, as I said, the church is the family. The ones who are following God together, 
This is our family. Look to the left. Look to the right. I mean, look around. Don't breathe on each other. Look around. This is our family. And some of you will say, I haven't even seen that person before because they're visiting today. Or, well, the Gregories, they live all over the world. They may be part of our family. Because we are. We're all one Christ brought together in Christ. And that is a stronger bond than anything else in this world. It's stronger bond than marriage. It's a stronger bond than uh, father to child, mother to child. It's a stronger bond than anything. And we don't feel that, but it should be a stronger bond because we are bonded in Christ, the strongest bond we can have. In fact, if you think about it, you know, when we talk about marriage, when two people come together, God says they become one flesh. That's how bonded they are. It's interesting then that we are all called the body of Christ, that together we become together to the body of Christ, the real way that we're bonded together. And it's very similar to marriage in that bonding, we're one together. But even greater than marriage vows, Jesus is the one who bonds us. Here's the thing marriage in Genesis was created to solve the problem of loneliness. But now loneliness is remedied by the body of Christ, by the church. So if you're single, there is a family than blood family. You might be thinking, well, what if I never get married and I never have a family? What's my life like? It mean anything. And here's what I want to tell to you. You do have a family. Even if you never get married, you never have kids, you have a family, and it's all around you right here. It's in the south wing. It's online. have a family. So don't despair if singleness is something that has called you. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now, remember, I, I want to make this clear. I heard last week, and I think people misunderstood what I was trying to say. I am not saying we should ignore our family. I am not saying we should ignore our spouse and our kids for the sake of the church. What I am saying, though, is we build our family because they are a church in a way, but we keep it there. Like, it's almost like, you know, think about the church, right? The church comes together to be equipped to go out. And I think the same thing is true of a family. You equip your family. You disciple your family. You focus on, on bringing them into nurture and admonition of the Lord. You absolutely have to do that. As parents, you have to do that. But then it goes further and you bring them into the bigger family so that they can serve other people. Training your family isn't to keep them isolated, but to train them to go and to serve Others. I talked about that last week, so I just wanted to clarify that the great family, even as a disciple, your family. And that gives to singles too. Think about if you are this family, an opportunity to disciple others. You don't have kids. We're going to talk about that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. The third, our third part of this first principle is that reproduction does not have to be physical. Reproduction does not have to be physical. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, many of us know these verses. Matthew uh, tells us this is the great commission Jesus gives his disciples before he leaves this earth. And it's interesting what he says. So Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And behold, I am always to the end of the age. Okay, so it's interesting. This is called the Great Commission. All right? This is 
it's changing the way that people would have seen what God's plan was in this world. And let me explain that. I'm going to go really quickly back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, marriage and family were the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply is what the first marriage is told. Adam and Eve are told to be fruitful and multiply. And so multiplication is something that has been from the very beginning of creation, from the very time we created people. So therefore, in the Old Testament, what we see happening is getting married and having children, really obeying that. And so, that being said, in the Old Testament, singleness, and that's usually talking about eunuchs, we'll talk about later, widows and forsakes, uh, were all seen contrary to creation, and therefore they were seen as not good. Because if you weren't propagating the world with your children, then you were missing mandate. And so if you were single or barren, it was not a life you wanted to live in the Old Testament. They were pitied at best and shunned at worst. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And I don't have time to go through all the passages that talk about it. But even the eunuchs, they were not even allowed to worship of God in the assembly. So the Old Testament didn't look at singleness, barrenness uh, as a good thing. It really almost looked at it as a curse because you were unable obey creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply mandate. However, the mandate in the New Testament takes that mandate and redefines it in a way. This mandate that Jesus gives, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaches us that this is so much more than just having kids. This is about spreading the word of God, making disciples, really having spiritual children is what Jesus is to take them, to teach them what parents do. Parents teach their kids, raise them up in the faith. Now, as all Christians are single or married, to be about making disciples. Jesus takes the creation mandate, and he just tweaks it to the point of, that's not the only way that you can reproduce. That's not the only way that you can multiply. And so, what we see, and, and again, in the Old Testament, think about is, is when you had kids, you were able to bring them up in the faith. That's how you grew your church, if you will. You not a church, but that's how you grew the religion. You had kids and taught them the ways of God. Jewish people did to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of them did, but they should have. But in that same now we see that now the of the gospel and disciples, it's sharing the Jesus learned from him. That is reproduction. That is the important reproduction. And so as we talk about that, a lot of singles are very, very depressed and thinking, well, what if I never have children? You can still reproduce spiritually. Find people into, make disciples, make spiritual children. You are able to do that. You can follow the mandate that was given to creation even if you're not married. Uh, this, by the way, this is not to say that marriage is no longer good and useful, okay? Quote me to say, I'll just not be afraid because we don't need to have children anymore. God still has a very good plan for marriage for children, and it is still the job of parents to disciple their children. We can't lose that. So this is not to say that marriage is no longer good and useful, but it is to say that marriage is no longer necessary. It's no longer necessary because we produce, multiply the world with the followers of Jesus spiritually. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. Paul 
both single. Jesus is the one that we follow, and Paul is the one that wrote most of the New Testament. Both of them are single. And then several times in Scripture, they they had children, even single. Jesus referred to his disciples as children. Several times this happened in John 13, 33 is one of the main places where Jesus to his disciples, and he calls them my little children. She's talking because he had a spiritual their father, in a sense. Paul, uh, not to refer to himself to a, as a father to the people he wrote to, 1 Thessalonians 11 and, 11 and 12. Uh, he referred to himself as a father, 1 Thessalonians 2. But then, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 2, later on, or earlier on in verses 7 and 8, he called himself like a mother. It's interesting that Paul and and uses this analogy of being a mother to the people he's writing to because he nurtured them. And he sees the people he's writing to as his children, that he is like a father, like a mother to them. say that marriage and children is ultimate. Paul didn't reach it. Neither did Jesus. But that's not the ultimate. ultimate is a family that we raise up. And so the first principle, getting married and having a family, is not the ultimate goal. And these are all the reasons why. There's Better, there's in blood we can reproduce spiritually. Second, what we look at today is that singleness is a gracious gift. Singleness is a gracious gift from God, and this is where we really start getting into talking about singleness and how it is. We're going to run through some different verses. Matthew chapter 19. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Phenomenal that many times read right through and we don't think about. 11 and 12. And actually, I'm going to go back to verse 10. In the context of this, uh, by the way, the, the lawgivers come and they ask Jesus about divorce. Is it okay to divorce? A man divorce a woman for any reason? And Jesus is talking about marriage and about divorce and remarriage. And, and then the disciples say this. Jesus taught some hard things. Basically, he taught that divorce is not God's prescribed. The, the divorce should not happen be preserved at all costs. And so then the disciples asked this question in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. This is kind of a real question, a statement that they're making. The expected answer by a Jewish person would be, whoa, 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 you need to go get married. That's the creation mandate. Jesus doesn't give that answer. He shocks his own disciples. And what does he say here in Matthew 19, 11, and 12? This is where it gets interesting. Jesus says this. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. In other words, saying, yeah, you're right. Most people don't get it. But only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been f- from birth, and there are eunuchs who have made eunuchs. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive receive this. See, happen here is that Jesus commends singleness in Matthew 19, 11, and 12. He talks about a eunuch. Now, a eunuch, um, a lot of times, physically uh, marred so that they could not reproduce. But the whole point of this, Jesus is talking about eunuchs in the context about, he's talking about a eunuch being someone who does not have the ability or the persuasion to marry and have children. They cannot propagate a family. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about because he's some units just were born that way. They just can't reproduce. Just, it's not their fault. It's kind of the way things happen. No one is 
maybe some eunuchs by men have been brought into slavery and became eunuchs and unable to produce children. And finally, there's a third category, which really isn't talked about much in the rest of the Bible. But Jesus says this is a valid category. He says these are people who decide not to do family in order to follow and pursue the kingdom of God. And his disciples, hey, some people need this. This is right. Not everyone is ready to handle this, but there are some who are. So a couple things we can say from this. First of all, this is not for everyone. As we get to this passage and we look at these verses, I do not want people to walk up and think, man, I really I got married. No, that's not the point. Marriage is still good. It is still fruitful. It is still good to have. It is important. So don't walk out here and say, well, you know, if you're dating somebody, we got to break up. Or if you're married to say, well, we just need to separate. No, it's not what we're saying. Marriage is good. So is sickness. And Jesus, there are some that can understand that. And Paul's going to talk about that later. I don't want to go too far into that. So Jesus, this answer is different than Jewish thought. And also, by the way, as you word eunuch, a eunuch most times in the Old Testament, someone who is devoted to a king, undivided devotion, actually, and the reason they didn't have children is they would divide their devotion to the king. Interesting one last week in 1 Timothy 7, and that we'll read in just a moment again, that Paul kind of brings this back around, the undivided of devotion to Jesus. In a sense, this is looking at this as well. All right, but we see Jesus can so it's a gracious gift because Jesus says some can, some can't. Paul then encourages singleness. Paul encourages singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A really large passage, so we'll go through it as quickly as we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul has been asked a question by the Corinthian church. And I'll be honest with you, scholars all disagree. What is the question? Uh, what is the question that Paul answers in 1 Corinthians 7? Is he saying that there are people that think that they should have sexual relationships with their spouses? Or is he saying that people are saying they should be single? Or is he answering a question about whether people should always have to marry? The truth is that we don't know exactly what this question is because we don't have the letter that they wrote to Paul. And there's a lot of different ways that we can look at this, but I want to put it down to what's very simple to understand. The passage of Corinthians, Paul says very clearly that marriage is good and so is single. That's the point. As we look through all of this, marriage is good for some and singleness is good for some, depending on where God and how God gifted you and called you. And so that's what Paul is going to answer in these verses. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Follow along. I'm going to read quick. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man to have sexual relationships with a woman. But because of the limitation of sexual immorality, a man has his own wife and her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not have except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. That you may devote yourself to prayer. And come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, say this. I wish that all were, I, I were as I myself am. Paul was single. But each has his own gift God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. It is better to marry than to be same with passion. Skip over to verse 17. Now, this part is 
Justin will talk about that with divorce and remarriage, I'm sure, when we get there. But in 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If anyone at the time of his call already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Got it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called the Lord is a slave freeman of the Lord. As he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. You are for the price to become slaves of men. So, brothers, condition is called, let him remain with God. Uh, and then we're going to continue. Now, concerning the oath, I have no command from the Lord. Judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Bound to a wife, do not seek beauty. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry with worldly troubles will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has been very short. From on, let those who have live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as if they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the of this world is passing away. Now I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, to please the Lord. But the married man is about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about body and spirit. The married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly, the Lord is betrothed, if passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do what he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But who is firm? And to turn his heart to keep his controls, he will well. So then, Marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Wife is as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is whom she wishes only in the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she remains and remains as she is. I think that I too have the spirit of God. Love there. I'm not going to be able to break it down verse by verse, but we're looking at ideas that come out here. Paul is answering this unknown question that had to do with marriage and sexual relationships and with singleness. Were Christians supposed to get married or were they supposed to stay single? In Roman society, marriage is the kind of perpetuated family and your legacy. Now we see that that's not how it has to be. Paul is making it very clear that marriage is not necessary. Singleness is not necessary. There is good to both. <clears throat> Paul's answer, marriage is good, especially if it protects us from sexual morality. Marriage is good. Because it protects sexual morality, but so is singleness when it's done right. Both marriage and singleness are good, and again, when it is done right. Everyone should follow their own calling. Paul even says in here, in this passage, he talks about let each of us has our own gift. So, gift is so singleness, back to our point. So, a gift, and Paul, this is, uh, this is the word for great gift, a gracious endowment. Is given by God to married people. Specifically, here he says that even singleness is a gift. But if you go forward to 1 Corinthians 12, gifts are one thing. 
Not to make yourself better, not to make yourself feel more fulfilled or have a better life, but gifts are given by God to serve others for the goodness, the greater good, as Paul would say in Philippians 13. And so he says in that, in that passage later on that these gifts are for the good of others. This is a gift that is given so that you can influence others. Marriage is a gift that is given so that you can influence others. You must use every gift for God's glory. Should be devoted to God's mission. This is Paul's point. Singles have the ability to focus, to fully focus on the mission that the married might not. And what Paul's saying, he says here at one point, singleness is better. This is what I think Paul putting at. It's hard work to glorify God and to be part of the mission of God. You've got marriage and family. It's hard, but it's possible. You who are single, think about the opportunities that you have that some people who are married don't have. You can serve people that married people never could. That's what Paul is getting at. Both people and married people can serve. It can be a little harder for the married person, but still a priority to both the married and the single. Marriage distracts from serving God wholeheartedly. That's the idea. This full devotion is also God's defense of sexual immoralities, which is far worse. So the idea of marriage being a distraction you might say, okay, then no one should ever be married. It says, no, you can be married. The point is not to get married because marriage is good, because it protects people from sexual immorality. But if that's not, you don't need that protection. You're moving on and you find yourself in a place where you're single right now. It's still a gift, not a curse. He is going against the Old Testament with today. In the sense that in the Old Testament, you needed to be faithful. Now it's a different way to multiply. Paul says, it's good to stay single if you can, but if you can't, then. Don't play around. Make the decision. Stay single. Get married. Do it. Do something. He talks about burning with passion. This is not just a general statement of love. A lot of times, well, well, if I really, if I just, if I really want to have sex someday, then, well, then I need to get married. That's not really what Paul's looking at. He, he, he's getting at this idea: if there is someone in your life that you just, you are burning with passion, you just want to be with them. Get Don't play the game. Get married. Do. But if it's not that, then then you need to just okay and be content with where God has you as being single. Desiring someone strongly, then don't get married before you do give in to In the beginning of this passage, we're talking about this. It says, I've given you together a wife and husband so that you will not be tempted by sexual And then later on, we talk about the betrothed person. And basically, it says the same thing. If you, if you control your desire, then get married to that person, but if you, if you have an opportunity to stay single, then don't assume that you have to get married. That is the answer. And that is the answer even to us today. Final point of seeing a gracious gift. There is hope for single people. There is hope for single people. I read this passage in our singing service. And in our singing service, this section, though, that I want to focus on, talk about eunuchs again. In verse 4 of Isaiah 56. Verse 4. Oh, I'm going to go back to verse 3. himself to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely accept his people. And let not the king say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Not the offspring. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuch, my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my hands and my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. See, what 
Isaiah is saying is there is coming a time when the cursed eunuch is no longer cursed but is blessed as they follow God, that they would be blessed and have a name that is better than something. Their legacy would be even greater than having a family. Their legacy would be one that had followed God. And I'm sure Jesus has talked about you back in Matthew 19, had this passage in his mind. No doubt. There's hope for single people. Is hope. We see this here. Remember our eternal focus. Even if we never get or have children in this life, there's so much better. Jesus, that's all you need. And you look forward to meritism. That is the point. Final point we need to make is a principle of singleness, and I'll go through this one quickly. I think a lot of us understand this. I want to make sure we don't miss this. Sexual intimacy is sinful outside of marriage. Hands or butts, guys. If you're single, there's no hands or butts about sexual intimacy. It's meant for marriage. It's meant for a man and a woman to come together to become one in marriage. That is what sexual intimacy is designed for, not for any other purpose. First Corinthians six, fifteen twenty, I won't read it for time's sake, but first Corinthians six, fifteen through twenty talks about how if you join prostitute. You become one flesh with her. It's the same concept that happens in marriage. And when you become one flesh with somebody and you tear it apart, what is that going to do? It's going to destroy you and others. And God gives us command and to not to give in to sexual immorality, to flee sexual immorality because not only is it something that is, goes against him and his heart, but it also is going to hurt you. God knows what's best for you. And he says, don't get into sexual immorality. See, before marriage, sexual immorality at any point because it's not within the confines of marriage. Faithfulness in marriage starts even before the wedding. I want to be clear on that. If you cannot be faithful to before marriage, then what makes you think you're going to be faithful not committing adultery with your wife looking towards marriage? Abstinence really is a training ground for faithfulness. Trust God. Wait a if you're burning with passion, by the way, instead of playing the game and constantly being tempted, then marry it. Even if you're too young or you don't have enough money, I don't care. If you're burning and you're facing temptation, get married. You know, not everybody's going to agree with me that talk about it with me later. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, married people, oh, my, oh, I like this statement. I read the books. If married people should do it, neither should a single person. Think about that. If you saw me flirting with another woman, you would be like, like flirting and coming on. Or you saw me in an intimate setting with another woman that wasn't my wife. You guys have got a loser. He needs to be fired. He's in sin. If I can't do it, you shouldn't do it either. A good other women. Like, if I can't do it with other women besides my wife, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing with that other person that's not your spouse because not your spouse. Does that make sense? I think I was really confusing my but hopefully you guys understood what I was saying. <clears throat> this happens all. All right. Where was it? Okay. I already talked about this one flesh. We need to make sure we protect ourselves from sexual immorality. That's why Paul says get married if you need to. The next point, verse 27 and 28, if you remember the passage, he says, even if you look upon a woman with lust, you have adultery in your heart. That's what Jesus says. To a new dimension. As he says this, we need to understand that you may not commit physical sexual 
morality, but lust is, is sinful, just as long as we stay away from that. We live in a world surrounded by pornography and related temptations uh, that is adultery, even if you aren't married. Whether you're single or married, if you're looking at pornography or if you're engaging in anything that's bringing sexual intimacy outside of marriage, it is sin. That is in about a month, we're looking at this even more in detail. Any more detail on this? And here I'm going to say this. My wife doesn't want me to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. But intimacy with Jesus is better than sex. I know it sounds like I'm trying to get phrase there, but remember, Jesus is better. It means Jesus is better than everything. When you are so obsessed with thinking you have to find sexual fulfillment and sexual intimacy that it causes you to sin, you are harming yourself, you are harming others, and you are harming the name of Christ. And we need to understand that Jesus is far better than any intimacy we can have in this world. Intimacy with Christ is the best and the greatest. So don't focus on feeling like you need to be able to have that intimacy that you want. Great example of this. I'm sure you've heard this example before. Many young men I talked to, and even as a young man, I well, I want Jesus to come back, but before I want to get married. Because I wanted to have a marriage, it was because I want to experience physical satisfaction in physical sexual intimacy. That says something about the heart. If rather wait for that as opposed to just think about that. All right, so that's our principles. So now we get practical implications. Ten minutes, here we go. All right, so practical implications, first of all, for single people. If you are you're supposed to listen. You're not listening anyway. I'm talking young people who are looking for marriage. I'm talking about people who are, mar- who are dating maybe, but aren't married yet. I'm talking to older people who have lost their spouses, maybe widows or widows. I'm talking to those who are divorced. All of these very single life. I want you to listen to some practical implications as we play them out from the principles we just looked at. First thing I want to say and pursue marriage if you must. Do God first. Pursue marriage if you must. I am afraid that a lot of times this is a We pursue marriage if we want to get married, and then, well, then once we're married, then God will use me. No, God can use you. will use you right now, right where you're at. Pursue him first. Above all else, he is the greatest spouse. So pursue Jesus first. But if you need to pursue marriage, then pursue marriage. But don't it back either. Make a decision and go forward. Follow God. Pursue Him. If marriage is part of that, pursue that. Only secondary following God. Chase after God and serve Him. This is a great example, a great illustration that I've heard. Uh, when you see someone running beside you, right, so if you're running, if you're running a marathon, you got one goal to the end of that marathon. It's like running the the race of faith, right? And you're running. You're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, you look to your left, and there's someone running right next to you on the same path, same thing. And then you start saying, you know what? Maybe we should like stay together. Maybe we should keep running this race together. Like you're doing Christ so much, and then, oh, wow, this person just showed up. And there's something God, too. Let's lift arms and do it together at the point of marriage. And so use that as an illustration if, you, if it helps you understand what we should be looking for. Over dating and specifically happens a 
with young people. It can happen with one. Don't idol, you know, don't make marriage and don't make dating an idol. Like, I need to be dating. I need to go. This is what my life needs to be about. I'm going to pass out because I need to find somebody. If you are like that and you have forgotten to follow God, then you are making it an idol. That is idolatry that you need to run from. So don't obsess about it. Sometimes this can look like obsession with online dating, an obsession with watching romance shows or romance movies or reading romance novels and it just consumes your mind all the time. I just want to find romance. I just want to find love and that's what consumes you. Then it's an idol. Be focused on God. Run in service to Him. God wills that someone comes beside you for that. Then take that opportunity and if you need to get married, get married. Don't make light of marriage. Okay, so don't make light of marriage and family. You are called to marriage and quit being around and get married. I want to say this to singles. You need to be firmly committed to what God has called you to. If it's singleness, then be firmly committed to singleness until it's obvious that God's calling you out of that. If it's to get married and you're with someone, then get married. Don't play around. Don't waste time. You're supposed to get married. Don't right person if you, in the sense of, if you know them and you know living together and you have a relationship together, one based on friendship and service to the Lord, then go ahead and get married. Don't overthink it. Don't be, so don't make life either and say, I don't need to get married. Uh, I'm just going to be around for a while. No, that's not the point. Fear of commitment or wanting to tell your wild oath is not a reason to say it. Alright, so we listen to this, listen to this sermon and you say, I should stay for the right reasons, yes, stay single, but not just because you want to live your own life, be independent, and have time while you're single. That's not the point. The point is to serve God in your singleness. We'll talk about a little bit. If you need to marry for self-control, then do it. Passive, but don't be pushy either. And, and just be all sad because you don't have someone. Like, be, be in That's the point. So I'm going to talk right now. Anyone who's single that's looking to date. You know, pursuing marriage isn't wrong. Remember what we just looked at. Maybe single God called you to, but maybe not. And so if you are called to marry, then I'm talking about, and I use the word dating. Someone say, use the word relationship. Use the word you want. The point is two people getting together that want to decide if they're going to get married. Okay, so whatever you want to call that, call it that. But we're going to talk about the word dating because that's most understood. All right. Beware the myth of finding the one. Beware the myth of finding the one. There is only one person you can click with. And if you can marry the wrong person, you can marry the wrong person, but I'm going to give you the reasons why that might be the wrong person. But don't be so obsessed with making sure that they meet all of your criteria. We talked about this last week. I want to talk about it more because I know there was some misunderstanding to what I said. I'll be in just a moment. So don't just, don't feel like you have to find somebody that lines up every hope you have. We're all sinners. We're all losers. There's going to be something wrong with us. Okay, First date. There's going to be something wrong with them. There's something wrong with you too. All that. All right. Moving on. Overemphasize compatibility in choosing who to date and eventually who to marry. Everyone is a selfish sinner that will lead, and that will lead to conflict. Incompatibility is often used as to end relationships. But if this is so, we should end all of our relationships. None of us are truly fully compatible. At times you hear differences. Well, we just don't each other anymore. We're not compatible anymore. Uh, even dating 
will break up because well, we just decided we've been you know we were dating two years, we were engaged, but then you know, I just didn't like the song about. It. And a lot of times that's used as an excuse to get out of a relationship. As Christians, we understand that combat that compatibility is not something you have, but it's something you are. You do it's not something you have, but it's something you do. You show humility and helplessness, and those are the things that will bind together. But there are some compatibility questions that you need to ask before you date. I'm going to give you two that are the most primary, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. Two primary compatibility questions. One, are they an authentic follower of Jesus? The Bible says clearly in Old Testament and New Testament, you should not be unequally yoked. Plowing with someone not of the same faith is not someone who is an authentic follower of Jesus. Don't do it. It's only going to cause heartache and pain. That's the first one. Are they an authentic follower of Jesus? And only you can know if they're I mean, God only knows if they're authentic. A pretty good idea by the fruits in their life. If you watch them serving and following Jesus, and odds are they are followers of Jesus. And if that is the only question that you must ask and answer, is are they the authentic? So those are two things. Are they an authentic follower of Jesus, and are they the opposite sex? That's what the Bible says are the only compatibility questions that really, really matter. But that being said, I do understand that there is understanding that when you are looking for someone to marry, you should probably get along. Okay, so there is some idea here that you need to be looking at someone who you can mesh with, who you can bond with, who you can serve with, who can be of one mind, that is important. I know some of you were questioning that last week when I said compatibility is important, and I probably overstated it, but now I'm having a chance to explain it. What I mean is, if Jesus is there and you're serving, and you're authentic followers of Jesus, who are humble, Self, and you can make marriage work. Choose to love one another in the hard times, and even the times where you aren't compatible. But I will say, you need need to look at things like their character, their theology, their mission, their connection. All of these things are they humble? Are they committed? Are they consistent? Do they speak well of you and speak well of others? Do they respond well to confrontation or suffering? A big question you ask too as you look at someone who you marriage is how do they relate to the church? If they're not committed in loving the church, then they probably won't be committed in loving to you the way that they need to be. Don't base your compatibility on looks, interests, or convenience. So many times people will say, well, you know, I'm, I can't do this. I just, you know, that's not really physically attractive to me. Alright, well, looks fade anyway. So the person that's attracted to you now is probably not going to be in a year. It will be because you'll be married to them. Another time for all that. But here's the thing. I know. Stick with me. I'm going crazy. You go, alright. Don't base it on looks or even interest. I can't marry this person because I don't and she doesn't. Like, who cares? Like, that's football. Like, do you love Jesus? Are you saying Like, I understand. You have no interest at all in common. And, like, your whole life is just going to be like, looking at each other and staring at each other. Then probably will be a good connection. Common sense, guys. I say don't worry about compatibility. I don't mean just throw it out and be like, okay, all right, you. You and me are married. Let's go. That's not what There is compatibility, but make sure you focus on what's really important. I'm going to say a couple things about dating real quick. I want you, if you are single, to do missionary dating. Do missionary dating. Ha. Okay. All of you all agree with me. That's good. Listen, missionary dating in the classic sense is, 
well, you date somebody who's not a Christian, they become a Christian. I would never, ever, 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 ever condone that. If you should be unequally yoked in marriage, you shouldn't be unequally yoked in dating. You're supposed to go toward marriage. What I'm saying when I say missionary dating, it this way. Your dating relationship, if you have one now or when you do have one, should point both each other and others toward Jesus. Who should be missionaries as possible? Because remember, marriage is to point to Jesus. If you're training for marriage through dating, then shouldn't your dating relationship also point to Jesus? The point isn't just to get to know each other and have fun in a dating relationship. The point should be to build each other up and build others up around that is the point of dating. That's the point of marriage. So when you date and it's the training ground for marriage, start impacting the people around you and impact each other for the glory of God. In this idea, we need to stop the view of dating. We need to not look at how, if I date this person, how it's going to serve me, but instead how it will serve them. This is how we be a missionary to date. We know to get safe, but we date together to show the glory of God. Final advice for those who are considering dating. Involve others in the decision. Not only to date, but also in your dating relationships. Don't isolate and don't date. A lot of times you start dating, it's googly eyes, it's, it's just me and you, and the whole world fades away. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, right? Just involve others in your life. Involve a church family. Involve older people that are married, that haven't been married, older people that know you, old people that life is about, and like live life with them and learn from them and listen to your parents and God the people who thought maybe this person isn't really where you should be going because there might be a reason you need to lean on other godly people. And finally, in this idea of not isolating and alienating others, you need to go to and serve the church together. I know it's self-serving, but serve together. Serve now so you'll serve later. Don't just isolate yourself and say, well, when I'm married, then I can serve. Start serving now. All right, those are my principles of dating. Now, next practical implication for singles. Pour your love for the spiritual family right now. Ask yourself this question. How can you leverage your unexpected singleness to serve others? Another question. Who can you disciple as your offspring? And live a selfless life. You are single right now. That means you have a family. Don't buy the lie that you are all alone. You are not all alone. You have a family. It's right around you. So pour out your life to the family that God is in right now. Maybe God will get will bring you to marry. Maybe he won't. But wherever you're at, if you're single, it's the gift that God has given you to serve. Do it. Serve your family. Disciple others. Build into younger people. Build into people. Build into one another. Use your singleness for the glory of God. God to serve others. Finally, if you're still, wait on God in purity. Wait on God in purity. And God is active and hard. Waiting is not just sitting back and being like, whatever happens, it happens. Waiting is God. It's strong faith, not apathy. Saying, God, I'm going to wait on you because I know you have the best in mind for me. The gift right now is singleness, and maybe you'll get the gift of marriage, maybe you won't. And I'm going to tell you that right now you have me right where I need to be. That's in God. According to one of these books I read, I don't remember which one, God's sovereignty is behind your singleness. If you are single for whatever reason, understand that God is not in control of your life. 
Oops, mistake there. They were supposed to be married, now they're not. Oops, I messed up. That is not where God's at. He has you where you're at for a reason. He is sovereign. His is behind your sickness. I do want to talk to those who are hurting. Because so far, it, I, want, I don't understand because I, I have living and living. I understand some of you are widows. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you, even young singles, are hurting because you feel like you've been hurt in many different relationships. And singleness is just a hard thing for you to even listen about because you, it just hurts. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate comfort. Come to him. Find comfort in him. Don't try to find comfort in anything else. This world has a lot of offers that want to give you comfort, but they all fall short of Jesus. So if you're hurting, run to Jesus, who is the great comforter. And in all of this, just trust God. Trust God that he has you in his hands, and he is you are where you need to be. The widow, whether a young and single, whether divorced, and you are in the place right now that God has you, and it is a gift at this very moment. Also, I want to say, don't say, well, okay, I have some people have singleness, but I don't, because I don't feel like I want to be single. Here's what I'm saying. If you are single, now your gift that may change. But right now, give it to singleness, so use it to serve others, and trust God that he knows what he's doing, and he's given you a good thing. For the rest of us, single. So singles, take a breath. Here we go. You can relax. For the rest of us, I just want to say, I'm going to go through quickly. Don't push singles to marriage. You're not God's gifted matchmakers. You are not God's matchmakers. I don't know how many times, and I've been, I've been included in this, where I'll see a single people person in church, like, I know who they should date. I'm going to go, I'm going to introduce them. I'm going to matchmake. They need because they need to get married. How many times have you done that? And I've heard it happen, so there are people here. Do that. Don't go to singles and be like, well, your life isn't complete. You need to get married. Get married. Here's this person and that person. Never thought about dating them. Don't push them because maybe God's gift for them is singles and married. And that's okay. And that's good. Don't push. Don't think that you're the matchmaker to solve their problems by bringing a spouse to them. God is enough. Jesus is enough. We shouldn't be pushy. However, and encourage them. They are moving towards marriage to their life and help them in that process. But don't push them to something that they may not be called. We are not the Holy Spirit. Let's not pretend we are. Next, us look for ways to be the family that singles need. Build into singles. Build into the young. Build into, Build into all of those who are finding themselves in a place where they are single. Treat them as family because they are family. They need to have family and we need to be that family. Does that make sense? We need both ways. So ways to include singles in your life, your family, into the church. Look for ways to include them. Care for widows and widows. We're told that in First Timothy 5. We need to care for them. Take care of the needs. Fill in what a spouse is missing because we are the body of Christ. Involve them in family. And last thing I just want to give this a general encouragement. Don't use singles. And this is what I mean. Don't just look at, especially you singles, 
kind of single that, okay, because they're single, they can do more. So I have a, I need, I have a, you're single, there's nothing else going on. You need to do this. That's what I'm saying. The singles should be willing to serve, but it is our job then to force them in places or to just use them. We need to know them and love them just because they're here. And finally, don't marginalize singles. Marginalize singles around you. Married and singles are not better or worse. They're just different. Embrace the difference. Singles is not a in life. Don't treat singles as though they are less. They are Christ. Don't assume you have nothing in common with singles. You have the common bond of Jesus. Remember that. Even if you're married, you say, I have nothing in common with singles, so I don't have anything to do with them. Your bond is in Jesus, so you live in their life with them. Don't marginalize singles. Sometimes the church has kind of made singles feel like if you're not married, there's something wrong with you. And unfortunately, it's because a lot of things we've said let's not marginalize singles, but let's respect them Let's give them strength and let's encourage them. Questions to ask before we end. One, do you have a real and everlasting relationship with Jesus? We have to ask this every time we come together because all this doesn't make any sense if you don't know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's available. You can have a relationship with him. You can restore the relationship that he has with us. We have sinned away from him. And if we believe in what Jesus did, he died, rose again for our sin. And if we believe and we trust him, and we repent and turn towards him, then we can have the ultimate gift that is so much greater than singleness or marriage. The ultimate gift is Jesus, and you can have a relationship with him today if you will come to him, trust him, repent with your life, and if you have more questions, as always, please talk to me or anyone else who knows Jesus. Question, are you bringing your gift to work? Are you bringing your marriage gift to work? Are you bringing your singleness gift to work? Are you using it to serve others for the glory of and finally, does your view of marriage and singleness reflect God's view of marriage and singleness? Are you so caught up in thinking marriage is the ultimate thing that you have forgotten that Jesus is the ultimate thing? Those are the questions we need to ask, whether single or married. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it was a long one. Next time I'll try to do it shorter. Probably won't. All right, but let's close in prayer, and then you guys are free to Oh, thank you for patience. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your love, for the understanding that you are all we need. We are, you are all we need. We don't need marriage. We don't need singleness. We, did, we don't need anything in this world other than you, your love, your grace, your mercy. Your... Our so wonderful Lord, I want to thank you. You have prothed us we have the truth and we can look forward to the day that we are all married to you. Whether or not, we will all be married to you one day and thank you for that truth. Pray that you would bless everyone as they leave today. God, something that was said, something in your word, change the way we might live your life that you've given us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes.